Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing great. There's our guest. It's multi-instrumentalist, member of Circus Survive, and our friend, Steve Clifford. Yeah, great to be here. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you here. You know, uh, let's start with something easy. How how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. You know, can't complain. Um, I, I like the the temperature better now. It's it's getting a little easier. Yeah, it's it's easing into a fall weather, which I absolutely love. It's my favorite time of the year, and I I really cannot handle boiling hot summer heat anymore. I just I just can't. Yeah, me either. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to, like if I have to go outside, I come home and I feel like I'm dead and it's just it's too much. But uh yeah, you know, there there's been so many phases to this uh pandemic. This pandemic <laughs> thing. It's like, you know, when we were talking on the phone more like I don't know, last month or something. That feels like 3 years ago. You know, first getting into this thing and watching Tiger King, that feels like five years ago. Oh my yeah, God. it's so crazy, man. <laughs> Dude, it's 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 so bizarre. It's just so bizarre. It keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting with my wife and saying something like, what if this lasts through summer? And here we are. Like, yeah. I know. I know. Same thing. I, I remember thinking like, well, what if this isn't a short thing and it it's not, and I, there's no end in sight. It's just, it's probably boring to hear about still, but it's just, this is life now. So, I mean. Yeah. I've heard one of our guests on the podcast said live music might not come back till 2022. What do you think of that, Steve? I mean, dude, it like, yeah, I, I can't imagine it coming back. You know, it's. We keep, we've had to rebook our tour like three times at this point, I yeah. think. I'm not sure. Okay. So we first we rebooked it. Uh, we were going to leave in March and we rebooked it for July, August. And then we rebooked it for um, January, February. And then we just rebooked it. It's still, if there's a miracle, we'll do it in January, which that's not going to happen. I don't think. Um, but we have it rebooked for like the next fall. Oh my! God. Oh man! This and this is the Blue Sky Noise Anniversary Tour. Yeah, yeah. It was going to be the ten year anniversary tour. Now it's going to be eleven or twelve <laughs> year or fifteen year anniversary <laughs> tour. It's just one of those. It just keeps, and none of us really think it's going to happen um, anytime soon. But you know, it's the kind of thing where you have to rebook it because in case it happens, in case there's some change, you know. You gotta you're, have you're, those dates. You're, you know, yeah, you're competing with all these tours, and like the venues are all shutting down and everything. So, man, you got to make sure that you book it in case it can happen. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, there's there was like a drought of shows in January and February of this year, and there was this run of incredible shows happening that I was so stoked about. Caspian was playing a record release, and they were going to have the guy from. Pianos Become the Teeth, come out and do vocals for the one song, and I was stoked for that. Signal Hill was playing. I haven't seen them in years. Uh, you guys, Blue Sky Noise Anniversary Tour. I was like, yeah, man, it's happening. And then one day to the next, it was just like, mm, nope. 
It's All gone. Like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> nothing anymore. Never again. Yeah. It'll be back eventually, but it's just really sad right now. I mean... It it really is. And I, I never imagined live music would be completely taken off the table because, you know, for for as much isolating as I've done and f- for as fucked up as I used to be and all this stuff, I, I usually managed to get myself out to see a band live. Like, that's yeah. one thing I always had to see. And now, nothing. Just gone. I know, man. It's crazy. But, I mean, it's not even just for us, you know. I, I've never been a big sports guy, but it's crazy that sports were just canceled and everything is just, you know. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Think about how many people fill stadiums, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy. That's just like, nope, not anymore. Yeah, the man. last week, I think the Eagles just announced there will be no fans for this season. Yeah, it doesn't no fans I mean, at the Lincoln Financial. They're going to fucking show up. They're going to be out they're going to be outside with bullhorns and fucking PAs and stuff, but if they keep playing the way they have, there's not going to be any fans anyway. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Last I remember, they were just celebrating cuz they won the Super Bowl and I thought that was cool. <laughs> but, Wasn't that like re- 3 years ago though? 2018. It's the last time I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually know nothing about sports. I just wanted to uh, make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, let's let's travel back in time. Now, I met you around 2010, 2011, I would say, somewhere yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah, right when I moved to Philly. Yeah, and so there's a lot in, I know about you, but a lot I don't. So let's let's take it all the way back. Where, okay. where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Hamilton, New Jersey, um, uh, yes. right outside of Trenton. I, I know Hamilton because I would always go to the New Jersey Transit train stop there. Yep, that's right there. Actually, you know, I you know I grew up thinking it was a pretty boring area, but that train stop is right next to the sculpture gardens and yes. Gr- grounds, grounds for sculpture. Yeah, ground, grounds for sculpture, and that's like one of the coolest places I've ever been to. <laughs> so it's kind of weird that I grew up in what I always considered a really boring area. But now it's like this place that I'm like, oh, let's go to, let's go there. Let's go to Grounds for Sculpture. I, I didn't know what that was. And then I was taking the train home from New York back to Princeton. And then I actually had to get off in Trenton because I was done. I was actually going back to Princeton. So I skipped the Princeton jump, junction stop. And I was just looking out the window and I was like, there's an elderly couple on a park bench that is about 40 feet tall. And you're like, yeah. what? the fuck is that and it's like out in the middle of nowhere like it's very strange to like you just keep like picking you're like oh my god look at all this stuff and you could see it right from the train line it's really really cool that sounds like a post-rock song title there's an elderly couple on a bench and they're 40 feet (laughs) it does but yeah if you actually go you know it's it's worth your time to go to the grounds for sculpture and walk around it's just i don't know how many acres of crazy sculptures you know it's really cool. And then the restaurant is like, uh, like a, you feel like you're in Disneyland or something in like frog and toads house or some shit. And the food's really good. Um, it's a really cool experience. I went to a wedding. My friend got married there. Oh, but nice. it, he, he was the first friend of ours that got married. So we were like 25 or something. So there's <laughs> there's no chance of me remembering it. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, I barely remember your wedding either. The only thing I remember was there was a big fight about 
uh, seating. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone just decided they were going to take someone's seat. Place cards were taken and moved. <laughs> it's my understanding. Keep in mind, I, I, I was, you know, like taking pictures and shit like that. And somebody came up to me and was like, dude, somebody fucking took my place and moved me all around. And I fucking <laughs> sit with a bunch of people I don't know. And I'm like, bro, I don't know what you're I'm talking getting about. married, like, man. Yeah, can I, can I, Mike? <laughs> Like my fucking uncle, my great uncle that's like eighty five is here. Can you chill the fuck out? Like just sit down and fucking eat. You're gonna be getting up and dancing and drinking in like twenty minutes. Chill, man. Like, how long are you actually at the fucking table for? It's not that big a deal. But yeah, yeah what? Well, in retrospect, though, it was a pretty dick move of the person who did that. Like he he just he just decided like, oh no, I'm sitting here, yeah. and he moved the cards. Like I remember, that was funny. Is uh, at Anthony's wedding, I. Uh, had a little bit too much to drink and this was before the days of gps in your car and i had printed out MapQuest directions to get there and he had gotten married at the audubon society uh basically on the other side of philadelphia from where i live and my wife drove and I, i we weren't even married yet like we were we were just engaged and i remember uh i passed out slash fell asleep and she didn't know how to get home and she actually had to stop at a random gas station and ask for directions on how to get home because she was like where's the map quest directions and for the life of me i couldn't fucking find them and then when i got home i thought it was the funniest thing was i i got my jacket from my suit and it was in the inside pocket. I was like, yo, look, here's the directions. And she's like, driving around for an hour and 45 minutes to go basically 20 miles. What the fuck? But I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, just hammered. Like, didn't even know what was going on. So is that, are you talking about Anthony from my band? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At that wedding, I um, had just gotten surgery on my arm for the first time. And so it was just like pilled out <laughs> and, <laughs> and in the pictures, like in all the wedding <laughs> pictures, I look like a ghost. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> it, it's pretty embarrassing. Well, there, I mean, there was a moment, there was a moment where Keith Goodwin from fucking, uh, well, days away at the time, like came up to me and he was like, Hey man, I legitimately didn't know who he was. I was like, what <laughs> happened? I was, he's like, do you remember me? Remember I was in a band with, and I was like, oh yeah. And of course there's other people around me and I'm like trying to introduce him to my wife and I can't remember his name. He's like, hi, I'm Keith. I'm like, thank you for saving me. Oh my God. <laughs> like, because I fucking <laughs> had no idea who he was. I was that kind of gone. It was not cool. Here's a good one. Are you ready? At my friend's wedding, I didn't realize how inconsiderate this was at the time, but my friend told me later. You wore a white dress. <laughs> I wish it was that, but I now a couple weeks prior to the wedding, I got punched out on the oh, street. Yeah, I remember. In, that. Yeah, in Old City, and I got clocked hard. Like my eye was split open. I still have the scar to this day. Ouch! And two weeks later, I, I went to the wedding. I was in the wedding. So in in the wedding pictures, you see me with this fucking big. <laughs> sliced open black eye and like my friend was like yeah like my wife was so pissed that you showed up like that and i was like oh yeah i didn't even think of that like here's your here's your memory pictures forever and like some idiot like (laughs) who got punched (laughs) out on the street with a giant black eye i i remember warning some of my family like you know some of my friends are coming that are in bands and stuff and they're gonna get a little wild and 
I didn't, I hadn't seen Jay real in a long time. And when he showed up, I, he, I was like, Hey man, how you doing? And he shook my hand. Like always, he shook my hand, gave me a big hug. And he turned to the side and he had just gotten a, maybe like a week or two prior to this, an anvil tattooed on his temple <laughs> on, on, <laughs> on the right hand side of his head. I was like, Oh, my family's going to have a ton of questions. Fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, Steve, you you grew up in uh, Hamilton. Yeah. Right? So how did you discover the scene and when? Uh, you know, it was weird because when I was younger, I wasn't, like, allowed to, like, go to anything. So so I feel like it came into my life as, like, a, like, rebellious thing to get away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I guess... When I was about like 16 years old, I started playing with this band Blood Runs Cold with mm-hmm. my friend Scotty, who was in the band Marigold. I don't know if you remember them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so me and him, I was like 16 and he was like 19. And so then me and him just, he would just drive, you know, I couldn't drive yet. So we would go to shows all the time and we would just always be going to shows and always trying to book shows for our band. And that's really where, you know, we would go to Planka Park all the time and we would go up to North Jersey to um, Hamilton Cafe or something. Oh, yeah. Hamilton Street Cafe. Yeah. Hamilton Street Cafe. Um, Yeah. And we would go up there all the time. And, you know, I would just be on like AOL, you know, talking to people and trying to get shows for my band. And, uh, you know, and then eventually later MySpace, but really it was before that. It was before MySpace existed. I I never even had Friendster or anything, but there were there were like these other sites that were pre Friendster where you would just meet people and try and get shows. <laughs> At least that's yeah. what I did. But uh yeah, that I mean that's how I got into it. I just was like a sixteen year old kid playing. Were you ever on Centerfuse? Uh, you know, I went on it a few times, but I, ne- I never really got into it. You know, I, I remember it, but I never became a centerfuge person. Correct me if I'm wrong. I seem to remember you telling me that when you started drumming, like you didn't take lessons or anything. You just kind of started d- doing it. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I started playing drums. Like first I took a bunch of butt buckets and like made a drum kit and yeah. then i found drums in the garbage around the corner mm-hmm. and actually i'll give my dad credit for this i don't normally give him credit for much but he was like <laughs> hey you should knock on that guy's door and see if he has more drums and i was like no i don't want to and he was kind of like made me and i was like yeah okay i'll go do it so i went and knocked on the guy's door and he was like yeah i got more drums here's a whole bunch more drums and wow so you know they were crappy like they actually were good drums but not taken good care of um Mm -hmm. but definitely great drums for just somebody to find in the garbage who was like 12 and um so that's how i got started playing drums and then it was just like trying to find other kids who played instruments and of course no one did so then i'd try and get them to play an instrument and at some point i i convinced my brother to like uh go half half on a bass with me and like try and convince him to play bass. And he never ended up playing bass, but, uh, you know, then I had a bass there and other kids played it, you know, it it was just like that. I just kind of 
found drums in the garbage, fucked around with them. Then I took drum lessons for maybe three months, but the guy kind of was boring. Uh, one day I asked him like, Hey, can I just like watch you play drums? And he was like, okay. And it was like, not uh, anything I was interested in. And I was yeah. like, all right, man, I quit. Like if that's how you play drums, like I, I don't re- really fucking care about what you're doing. Isn't it weird that <laughs> we've talked about this with other guests and I'm thinking about it now. Isn't it weird that music teachers were so lame a lot of the time? Like back then it's different now though. Like, yeah, you, you, you'd think they're, they're musicians. Like they'd be down, they'd be playing cool shit, but it's like, they were like school teachers. Yeah. A lot of times they were just like some loser dude who was just a failed musician who just got like, got a job at the music shop, you know? And because there was a location, there wasn't any competition, you know, and there wasn't, knowledge wasn't as accessible back then you know you couldn't go like oh i want to learn some cool shit like let me google shit i'm interested in you could all you could really do is like oh uh hey i want to take drum lessons oh well down here there's drum lessons so let's see what and you were at the mercy of whoever just happened to be the guy yeah you know where now and and they would make you buy like books about syncopation and stuff and I like, I actually recently got back into, I bought a a book about syncopation that my teacher um, made me buy back then. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting now, but he had no um, charisma about showing me why it was interesting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he was just like teaching me out of the book and not going like, oh, and then after you learn this, you can do this. It was just like, Here's just boring work to do to make you hate your instrument. And I eventually was like, <laughs> fuck this. I can play drums. Like, I'll, I'll just play with people. And then I just, you know, always sought out people to play with. So what did you do to teach yourself the way you wanted to be taught? What reference material did you look at? Because back, back in the day, when like when I started playing guitar... There was plenty of guitar tabs online, even for stuff I liked and was listening to at the time, like Dashboard Confessional or Texas is the Reason. Like You could find tabs of that stuff. So I would learn that and then write my own songs off of that. So what did you do for the drums? Yeah, well, I mean, for for guitar and and you know piano and everything, it's a little more complicated where there's notes. Yeah. But with drums, you just hit stuff. So if you kind of like can figure it out. You can just go from there. And Mm -hmm. I remember early on when I was like 10 years old, um, one of the records that I would, I would used to, I used to play along to records all the time. And, and two of my favorite records I would play drums along to were, um, Zayo blood and fire bring rest. Yes. And, and living sacrifice. I don't remember the name of that record, but hammering I, process. Um, before that, the one before that, okay. like the first one. But um, yeah. you know, because when I was like ten, I was only allowed to listen to Christian bands. But then, like the hack was that I found all the um, you know, tooth and nail bands. So I got really into them. And then my dad really didn't like that I liked that music, and even my youth pastor at the time would like take my records and be like this doesn't say jesus enough in it and you know just made me just hate the religion to begin with so they oh man it was nice it pushed me away from it so you had a youth pastor 
Yeah, yeah. When you're, Where, did you have to go to like religious camp or something like that? Not religious camp, but I went to church like three times a week. And oh man, I know. And it was torture. It was yeah. like, it was like the kind of thing where um, every sermon was this thing where it's like, okay, and so this is what you got to feel really guilty about this week. Yeah. And so yeah. now we're, and then at the end they're like, everybody come up and get prayed for. And then everyone would like put their hands up and slowly one by one go up and be like, Oh, I'm going to get prayed for now. And then, uh, they did this thing where, you know, they put their hands on you and then you fall down. Yeah. And I remember I was like 10, 11, 12, you know, like I went there for those years. And I remember being like, Oh my God, like God's not knocking me down. Oh no. And then, like, faking and being like, oh, oh, he's knocking me down now. <laughs> and then I'd, like, <laughs> fall down. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> Jesus. And I'd, like, lay lay down, you know, and they'd be like, oh, Holy Spirit. <laughs> it was so fucked up, man. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, I, I, I went to 12 years of Catholic school, and I had to go to church once a week, and even that was torture. So I can't imagine three times a week. And the whole weird like laying on of hands and that kind of stuff and i i always had a hard time believing it but i just i just accepted what i was told because that's the kind of person i was at the time well when they and use I, hell on you you know that's their biggest thing is they go like you're gonna go to hell you know yeah it's, it's like it's okay. what you're taught it's like when you grow up being like oh if you don't believe this shit you're going to hell then you're like all right uh pff, well i don't want to go to hell that that sounds pretty bad yeah, and I remember we we had to take this religion test or something, and we're working in groups. And religion one of the questions, one, one of the te- yeah, what a waste. One of the questions was like, "Do you believe that the body? Do you believe that the the wafer, the Eucharist, or whatever that they give you? They're like, do you believe that it's actually the body of Christ?" And I wrote, "No." Like, <laughs> it's transubstantiation for Christ's sake. That's absolutely what Catholics believe. <laughs> well, get this: that we were reviewing the answers, and ev- I was last, and everyone in my group was like, "Yes, yes, yes." So I quickly scribbled out no, <laughs> and wrote yes because I didn't want to be like a dissenter. Steve, yeah. if you don't, if you don't mind my asking, uh, did you grow up Pentecostal? Uh, I mean, it. I remember the term non-denominational being okay. thrown around. Okay. <laughs> But it was really like charismatic. Uh, okay, we went to a uh, the church I went to for the first bunch of years was actually a uh, evangelical church. But then we went to an even crazier church where people fell down, and you know, did they have the purple sheets where they put on top of them when they? Asked yeah, them? they put. Yeah, yeah you would yeah. fall down and be like, hey, hey, "I'm drunk. God yeah. made me drunk," yeah. and then people <laughs> would put like a a sheet on you and go (laughs) like that. That was my experience is going there and watching these adults fall down and pretend they were wasted and like go hee 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 and put the sheet on them. It was so weird. You know, what's funny though is eventually after I um, stopped going there, eventually I told my parents like, I'm not going to this place anymore. Uh, Then they eventually stopped forcing me to go when I was like 16 um, one day my dad sat me down when I got home from school and he was like, Hey, Steven, I got to talk to you about something. And I was like, what? And he was like, so pastor Gene 
and youth pastor Debbie, uh, they were kissing. (laughs) 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 And I just started cracking up. And he was like, no, no, but then the Lord brought it together. And so everyone came together and, uh, you know, everything, the Lord turned it around. Everything's doing great. And it was like, so the pastor who was married, you know, cheated on his wife, just kissing, I guess, with uh, the youth pastor who was also married. Oh, uh, and then the whole church fell apart. <laughs> oh, my word. The scandal. Wow. I know. And I just I love it. I just cracked up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're hilarious. I could totally see you just like cracking up and your dad being like, no, Stephen. You know, I'll I'll give them credit. They're not as weird about that shit anymore. <laughs> yeah, my okay. parents used to be diehard like church every week, and they even they gave up eventually. Yeah, it's got to be hard raising kids. You know, you, like it's got to feel like a a real strong arm to be like, no, if we force religion on them, that'll get them to to like listen to me, please. Parents don't realize that you you have to do the opposite of what you want your kid to do. Like if you want your kids to be religious, you got to be really into Satan. Like if you want your, if you don't want your kids to be party animals, you have to be a party animal and they'll be like all the straight edge life or straight edge kids. I know like their parents were like messes or someone in their family, you know? Yeah, I know, man. You know, I just thought I, I thought of this the other, like maybe like a few months ago, I was talking to one of my older sisters about my mom was like your, your parents, Keith, like my mom would make us get up every Sunday morning to go to mass. And, but, uh, I, I guess about like, maybe five or six years ago, she just stopped going and she would go like maybe once a month. And then it became like, she would go like Christmas and Easter. And I was like, I asked her, I was like, why don't you go anymore? And she's like, I overheard you and your sister talking one time. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, I don't know what she heard us say. And I was like, what happened? She goes, I just, I just feel like I pushed it on you guys too hard. And it, it kind of backfired. And I was like, Oh, all right. And I was like, I, I just went to my sister. I was like, yo, Bethy, what did mommy over here? And she goes, Oh my God, she like made a big deal out of this. You and I were talking about how religion, at least the Catholic church essentially taught us how to lie. <laughs> like, oh man. Like, you learn, <laughs> like, you learn what you can say and can't say to get yourself in trouble. So you learn when you can say certain shit and when you can't say certain shit. And like, you just go, Oh, I'm not allowed to say this here now. So I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to make sure that I lie about this. Like, my sister and I had this big conversation. I was like, do you remember the first time you had to do confession? She's like, yeah. And I was like, dude, I just made everything up. Like I made all of it up. Like, I mean, I, I remember like, Man, going, I never like, had to do confession. That seems like the weirdest thing. Steve, I mean, I brought, it is. I brought a list in with me and I took it out of my pocket when I went in. Cause I didn't do the face to face one. I did it where like, he's behind the, the like little yeah. screen. And, uh, I brought a list in with me and I was like, I argued with my sister three times. <laughs> I took the Lord's vain name, name in vain five times. I, <laughs> I swore 17 times. I disobeyed my mother twice. Like, and he was just like, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, like, let's do uh, three Hail Marys and six Our Fathers, and uh, make sure you listen to your mother. And I was like, oh. that is so crazy. That's what happens. The guy Dude. says like, oh, well, just do like Yeah, yeah. he designates... <laughs> He designates like how many prayers you say to to Legitimate. you know like yeah be forgiven. He assigns you what they call penance, and your penance is like a certain number of prayers, and you literally go over and sit there. And I remember being like trying to count off in my head like how long should I kneel here for, and I just remember like seeing other kids. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go back and sit down. 
and seeing other kids being like, wow, he's sitting there for a long time. This kid must have done some really bad shit. Like, cause he's fucking yeah. praying for a while. <laughs> like, he's been sitting there. That kid's been there for 25 minutes. <laughs> if this God, if the like Catholic God does exist, don't you think like he would be so annoyed with oh these God, priests? Yeah. Like, really? You're, <laughs> you yeah. know, like a thinking God with a brain, you know, like up there you know, watching this, he's like, Oh my God, you're telling these kids to like, I imagine the Catholic God is sitting there with like an abacus being like, it was supposed to be 17 Hail Marys and four our fathers. What the fuck is this guy doing? (laughs) Jesus. Never mind. There was this division of like, like for some reason they always pushed us to do face to face confession. They're like, don't, don't do the screen. The screen is, there was like, if you did the screen, you were a wimp. There's like, you get to choose. You get to choose. Yeah. Yeah, so I would I would always go face to face, and then eventually, like my friend was like, "No, I just do the screen," and I was like, "Well, shit, I'm gonna do that." I don't want to. What's the purpose of that? What's the the whole thing is? You're supposed to go in, you confess your sins, and you're supposed to be what they call absolved of it, meaning like Mm -hmm. they take away your sins, and you're supposed to receive some type of clarity from having now spoken them out loud and done this penance for it. So, like, you're supposed to go in and say, like, you know, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been Three months in my, since my last confession, and these are my confessions. I made fucking confession in second grade, and I still have that memorized. Like, they beat it into you to a point where, like, I remember taking tests on it. I remember taking, like, it, they make a huge deal. Confirmation's even worse, dude. You have to fucking do an interview and all this kind of stuff. It was like six and you months have a sponsor. of preparation. Oh, my God, six months of preparation. I had to call my aunt and write her a letter and say, hey, can you sponsor <laughs> me and all this stuff. Oh, it was so awkward. Yeah. And I had to do this. So my uh, so my older sister, thank God she doesn't listen to this. So my older <laughs> sister is a teacher at a Catholic school, and she had all of her kids baptized. And I remember they do this, uh, like there's like a whole ceremony with the baptism, and they do it right after mass. So like mass is done, and then all the families that are getting their kids baptized, you just stick around, right? And it's like a 30, 40-minute thing. But they make the person that's the godparents stand up in front of the everybody there and basically you ask they ask you a series of questions the priest says them out loud and you answer yes i will or no i won't to them but you have to keep the question straight because you don't want to say no i won't to the thing that you're supposed to say yes to but i remember like i like audibly chuckled because one of the questions is do you reject satan and all his works and in my head i'm going like I don't know. Slayer's pretty fucking rad, dude. Like fucking Satan's pretty, like a lot of the stuff I'm into is fucking super devil worship stuff. I don't know. Pentagrams are pretty cool. I drill them all over my notebooks when I was a kid. Like, I don't know. Like, but they really say like, do you, do you reject the jet, the devil and all his devious works? Yes, I will. And they're like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, and the worst part was, is that my sister, you have to get a letter from your priest to say that you're a Catholic in good standing because you, you have to basically get a letter from wherever you go to church to say, Hey, this person actually does go to church. And so I had to go to the, the trip place where we go to church around my house, which we don't go. Um, but we have that automatic bill pay set up. So the, uh, the money comes right out of our like checking account or PayPal. I don't know how the fuck my wife sets it up. I have no idea, but, um, I had to go get this letter and I had to go to him and he literally opened up the computer and looked at my file and went, Oh yeah, you're in good standing. He basically looked to see if I'd been paying every week and then just stamped the letter. And I was like, 
oh no, this is just a scam, dude. Like this is just, they wanted to make sure they, they were getting their, their money. Like that's all they were looking for. I was like, fuck, this is terrible. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, it falls in line with everything else. <laughs> that's depressing, man. It was really depressing. And So Steve, now you were also going to some of these now classic shows that were happening at Palanca Park and various other places in uh, the Northeast, yes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not... Not constantly, but yeah, I was going as much as I could, you know. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your early bands. Okay. You you had the one that you mentioned the uh, the name I forget. Uh yeah, me and Scotty had a band called Blood Runs Cold. That was you know like one of those screamy sporadic bands. Like I mean, we were really into Between the Birdie and Me, you know. Yeah. They had their first record. I think their first record came out after we were a band. Mm-hmm. But it was like the direction that we were trying to go in. Yeah. Uh, and that was really fun. I did that for a while. Um, and we would always go down to um, to North Virginia and we would play at this place, the Spotlight, that Ash um, from back then, EE e. Booking, would book. Mm-hmm. And we would play down there all the time. And, and I hit him up at some point. Um, trying to just get more shows. And he was like, hey, man, do you want to go on tour? And he had this band called Reflux um, with Tozen, who's now, you know, from Animals as Leaders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yes. so so he was like, hey, man, you want to go on tour? And I was like, oh, well, I mean, I got to graduate high school first. And he wrote me this long letter. I should probably go and find it. It's probably in my old email where he's like, hey, you, you should – you know, not go to school and <laughs> just go on tour. <laughs> so I went to my, I had already dropped out of um, normal school at that point, but I was still in um, Votech and I was like straight A's in Votech. Mm-hmm. So I went to the principal and I was like, Hey, I'm going on tour. Um, and I've had straight A's the whole time here. And, you know, there's like a month left and I aced the, the test, you know, um, like whatever the last test you do is. And I was like, so you can either like let me graduate or not, but I'm going to go on tour. And he was like, I'll let you graduate. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really cool of, of them. So, I mean, it doesn't even really matter. It just was like a Votech graduation thing, but I would say that that means more nowadays than high school shit. What is Votech? Votech is where like half of the day you go to, um, it's funny because most of these kids that I went to Votech with are actually doing what they went to Votech for, mm-hmm. where half of the kids that I went to high school with um, graduated and went to college and didn't do what they're doing. Then they bartended, you know, n- nothing yeah. against bartending. But, you know, I mean, like uh, like when the year I was graduating, and I, and I think it's still going on now, it's probably ch- slow, slowly changing, but the whole idea of graduating high school, going to college, wasting a ton of money most of my friends that did that, I mean, Keith, I think you're like one of my friends that's different than that, uh, didn't use what they went to college for. They just like wasted a ton of money and ended up, up doing something completely different. Where, yeah, I didn't even I, graduate college. Yeah, Keith, oh, you didn't? Keith, no. Votech is like, um, do you remember that place that was across from, um, that was over by the Wawa off like where, where Apple Tree was? And it was like, you could go there for like air conditioning and heating repair. Auto, oh, that auto. type of stuff. Did you only do the one tour with Reflux? Uh, I toured with them for a little less than a year. It was maybe, I think it was three tours, but they were all disasters. It was all like, 
you know, Ash booked a bunch of, you know, bigger bands at the time. It was all small, but like the, like the hardcore scene, you know, like the metal hardcore scene was like the small thing. And it was right when bands were starting. There were some bands that were like starting to get on MTV and stuff, you know? And so it was really a small thing, but we would piggyback because he would book the shows for the bands and then we would like get to open but, you know, it, it was a good band, you know, people were into it. Um, and you yeah, obviously like Tosin is like one of the sickest guitar players ever. Um, so people, Could, was he even back then? Could you see Yeah, it? He was amazing, dude. He was, he was obviously going to be like what he is now, but just like, wasn't doing exactly what he needed to do yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, I toured with that band for a while. Um, so why were the tours disasters? Uh, because our van would break down, and we would have to get a new um, a new transmission like three or four times. <laughs> like we oh would end up God. stuck in places. It was it was such a disaster. There were so many times that we were just stuck in different places. But like, there would be a lot of good shows. There would be a lot of shows that were like nothing, but then there were some shows that were crazy. Um, we got to open for shit for, um, well, first we opened for, um, strapping young lad and then mm-hmm. they were really cool. And we were like, Hey, we're trying to get on this Meshuggah show that you guys are opening for them. And they like got us on the Meshuggah show. So Hold then, up. You opened for Meshuggah. Yeah. Meshuggah and strapping young lad. And it sucks, man, because like it was an off night for me. Like I was real nervous and I like didn't play very good. And it was like this thing. I was like, ah, it was the first time I played at a big venue with everything mic'd and it yeah. was opening from a sugar. Dude. I know. It was like, it That's hurt. incredible. It was incredible to open for them and to see them, just to yeah. see them was crazy. But yeah, like, I, I mean, I was still really green at that point, you know, uh, it, it's just crazy how, how like to see that professional level um, when you're, playing in basements you know and then it's like oh well we're gonna open for mashuga <laughs> oh my god i can't even imagine that like yeah yeah it was crazy man but they even though like i didn't play so well that night they still saw that tozen was sick and i remember after the show like uh uh the F- frederick i think the guitar player's name who was Thord- like Thord- to yeah he was yeah. talking to tozen and now they've toured with them a bunch of times so so how, you were like 18 years, 17, 18 years old when this was all going down? I was, I was 17 at that time. Wow. So you got an early start. I guess so. I mean, yeah, I guess it kind of feels like that. But, you know, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, no, no one really did. So the touring ends with Reflux. What, they didn't ask you to join full-time or anything? What happened was we had this bass player who I brought on, and then there was this stuff happened with like a car he left at their house. Then um, there was this biohazard show we were going to open and then he didn't want to do it. So we kind of both were like, we're not doing it. And then Tozen started jamming with this new drummer who then just ended up being the new drummer for reflux. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had at the time been saying like, no, I want to work on more songs before we go on tour. But it just it just kind of worked out that like he found a drummer around there and was jamming with him, and then it, yeah. that became Reflux. Um, so it, it's like 
it, it was no, no hard feelings. It was like, it kind of sucked at the time, but, um, you know, I'm still good friends with those guys and I'm glad it happened <laughs> because then I joined my band. So didn't, did, how, how old were you when you started jamming with Circa? Uh, I, I had just turned, uh, well, I, I was 19 when I start, I think I was 19 when I started hitting up Colin. I had just turned 19 and I was, I got his number from Vadim who was in Marigold with Scotty, um, you know, who was in blood runs cold with me from when I was like 16. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was funny after reflux, I was basically trying out bands. Like I was on, there was a message board called like the NJ scene. Yeah. And I was just on there. I didn't really know how message boards worked, but I'd go on there and post like, here's my bands I was in and I'm looking for a new band and people would like make fun of me or whatever. Uh, (laughs) And other people would hit me up to like, you know, try out further bands. And I I tried I was basically kind of trying out bands, you know, I, I was just like, okay, I'll jam with this band. I'll jam with this band, but I wasn't really into anything. Mm -hmm. It was funny. This one band I jammed from jammed with from South Jersey um, I remember the bass player being like, oh, but you play drums like the drummer from Seosin. And I remember um, a friend of mine showing me Seosin, and I was like, oh, I don't really like this or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, and, and now, you know, I, I give them props. Like, they're, they're good. They're a good band. But at the oh. time, at, I, I just, you know, I kind of wrote it off. It was just like, oh, I don't really like that. Um. I was really like anti-metal at this point. Like I didn't want to play double bass, you know, I was like anti-metal. Um, cause I played so much double bass and reflux, you know, mm-hmm. and my double bass pedal broke. And I, I quit a band over that. Actually. I was like, ah, my double bass pedal broke. I guess I have to quit the band. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, that band was called the concubine. They were pretty cool actually. Where was I with this? Oh, uh, so yeah, the bass player of this one band I was jamming with was like, oh no, man, you should really check them out. Like their singer is amazing. And I was like, really? L- let me hear him. And he played them. And I was like, oh man, this guy, um, he's got a really weird and cool voice. It'd be so sick if he played in a band that sounded like Sunny Day Real Estate meets Further Seems Forever. <laughs> <laughs> And somehow that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And then a week later, Scotty, you know, who was in my band Blood Runs Cold when I was 16 and then was in a band with the Dean was like, hey, man, um, Colin from this day forward, he's got a new band with the singer from Seosin. And I was like, oh, that guy's really cool. He, like, he's not in that band. Anymore. And he's like, no, he quit. And he has a new band with Colin and they need a drummer. <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, for real? And he gave me Colin's number. And then I went home and I listened to their song. And literally that first circus song, um, Handshakes at Sunrise, it sounds like Sunny Day Real Estate meets yeah. Further Seems Forever with Anthony singing. <laughs> it like literally sounds like that. How did you, how did you get a copy of it? Uh, it was just, if you went to circusurvive.com, it just played that song. That's all. Oh, so they already had a website. And yeah, a song they up. they had the they had the website up and they had the one song. Oh wow! Yeah, and yeah, and they were looking for a drummer. So uh, I didn't even hear of them 
I didn't know they came out with the song until Act Appalled. Like I remember it was on SoundCloud, I think, before oh, the album well. dropped. Yeah, that yeah. was way later. Yeah, I don't know. So then I just bugged Colin until you know he like let me try out, and then did you just cold call him and be like, "Yo"? Yeah, I did. You know what? I didn't leave him any messages because I think I left him one message. Yeah, and he didn't get back to me. So then I didn't leave him any messages. I would just call him until he answered. <laughs> oh man, that's a, that's amazing determination. I would be like too afraid to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to lose. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So you got to tell the story of when you ran into him. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so I had been calling him for like a few weeks or something. And then I was at Guitar Center with Nick Tazza, who was a drummer of of Marigold. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I was like, oh, I want to buy this keyboard. It was uh, a micro cork. And I was like, oh, I have to go to the ATM at Target. So I went to Target, and the ATM ripped me off. So, like, I I put my card in, and it said, okay, here's your money. And it didn't give me any money, and then it showed that there was less money in my bank account. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) So I was standing there, and I called the bank, and I'm standing there. And then Colin and there was this girl, Camille, who was going to be playing keyboards with us at the time. Um, they walked in to Target and I had seen this day forward play, but like, you know, drummers are in the back, you know, I, I wouldn't have known it was Colin, you know, uh, but Taza was like, oh, hey, it's Colin. And he was like, hey, Colin. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, man, it's Steve. It's the guy I, I've been calling you, trying to get you to let me jam with you. <laughs> and, you know, since I met him in person at that point, you know, it was kind of more of a like, a, oh, hey, yeah, well, um, what about this day? <laughs> and then also since Camille was there, she was like, oh, there's a drummer that like wants to play with us, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so um, then I jammed with them like two days later. I jammed with uh, Anthony and Colin and then, you know, I jammed with them a few times and then Brendan moved up here and I jammed with him and they were like, cool. <laughs> so when did you find out that you were actually in? How um, did you find out? Did you have to ask like, oh, so am I well, in? I had or? to meet Brendan and jam with Brendan and Anthony's parents' basement while they were like, so there was a period that summer where like everyone's parents went away, yeah. like right after each other. First, we were at Collins jamming for like a week. Then Anthony's parents went away for like a week and we moved everything there. And that's when I met Brendan. And after I jammed with Brendan, um, Anthony and Colin were like, okay, you're in. You're in the band. Nice. And then I got wasted and apparently like beat Anthony with the bat and they really questioned like if I should be <laughs> in the band or something. I mean, I was just joking, but yeah, it was like not, not a real bat. Like it was like a blow up bat, but I guess I was kind of being a little crazy with it but you know he's done stuff like that to me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i remember the first time i met you i i knew now i knew that circus survive was forming it was like the word was out in bucks county and everyone wanted to try out for the band myself included yeah like everyone you could just feel that it was going to be something special you know because anthony was super talented and he was coming off as Seosin, and this day forward were just huge and influential in the area. You could just kind of, so you could just feel that something special was happening. 
Yeah. Did you get that? Did you get that sense too? I mean, I knew once I was like, oh, wait, that guy quit that band and he's in a band that needs a drummer that's around the corner from me. And it sounds like music I actually want to make, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I wish I could find the old NJ scene posts because I'd be like, here's my old bands. Here's like Reflux and um, and Blood Runs Cold and, and the Concubine. But uh, I don't want to play metal anymore. <laughs> I don't want to play double bass ever again. I want to play stuff like this. Yeah, it's like, here's what I can do. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it ended, up, it ended up being just eerily exactly what I wanted to do. You know, it's funny. Actually, even there was a time we played at um, some venue we used to play all the time back then. But one time, actually, Chris Caraba was there. And I remember him saying like, oh, yeah, you guys are like doing like what we were trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Like The Moon is Down is one of my favorite records of all time. Yeah, that that record is incredible. The drumming is incredible. And that the song, I still go back to that song a lot. The Moon is Down. It's it's like perfect. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah. And the record after that was really cool too, but I don't know what happened with that band. I don't know, like they got they a new all... singer, and I, yeah, they I, just I, kept changing singers. And... Yeah, I I stopped after Chris left. I stopped listening to them. I don't know. I I saw the new lineup at Furnace Fest, and I just I just wasn't into it. Yeah, but I mean uh, that yeah that first record and the EP before that were were just like exactly what I wanted to do. So it was kind of crazy to like. You know, I'm not trying to say we're doing like we're just like copying them or anything. We're obviously trying to do lots of different stuff. But in the beginning, it felt like, holy shit, like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So writing that first record, what were the big influences? Now, I I can tell you from experience, I know Colin and Mike Shaw were super into that Code 7 record. Yeah, yeah, that last Code 7 record. Um something sounds and something somethings <laughs> so that that was was that an influence yeah we were all listening to that constantly at that point uh i don't know if it was an influence really it's not like we were trying to be like let's write stuff like that mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think what we talked about i mean we all were listening to dredge a lot at yeah. that point so obviously stuff seeped in but yeah, because when I listened to that green dredge album with the fly on it or whatever, yeah, that yeah. that sounds parts of you know I can hear some influence there for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think some of it is that we were influenced by the same bands and trying to do the same thing. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we were definitely influenced by Dredge on that record. Um, we were listening to them all the time. We we're big fans of them. I don't know. It wasn't like we were at that time really talking about like, let's do something like this, like this, or like this, like this. You know, it was, I remember at the time us being very just anti, not anti, but just trying not to be hardcore or metal, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's one scream on Juturna. It's like in the beginning of Octopold. And it's more like a scream, like from like, refused or something it's like you know not like a (laughs) and uh, and i just remember for me i was it was the first time not playing double bass i started playing drums playing double bass 
it was just like, oh, I want to play rock drums, you know? And it was the first time I didn't even know how to do a flam, you know, a flam on the snare where it's like you hit one, you know, like a, I didn't know what that was because I was playing just metal beats. (laughs) And then it wasn't until we were in the studio with Brian McTernan. He was like, you're hitting the snare at the same time when you hit with two sticks. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're choking it out. And he's like, you got to flam it, you know, like a flam. I was like, oh, I've heard people say this. I've heard about (laughs) flam before. So that's how like green I was, uh, even like just drums. (laughs) So how did it feel being swept up in all of that. I mean, think about it. Like, you meet all these guys for the first time, and then you're renting that house in Morrisville, right? And you're writing this record, and it's coming out on Equal Vision Records. You're just like, you're like in it. This is what you do now. How how did you feel during all that? Because you didn't know everybody particularly well, right? No, I didn't know everyone really that well at the start. But I mean, I felt like even Nick didn't know everyone that well, really. Um, right. It, and I was way younger than everyone. I was like 19 and they were all 20, like two to 27. You know, it was weird. It was, but we were all excited. You know, it was this thing we had, you know, we were going to be putting a record out. Um, Like we knew that it was going to be cool. You know, it, it felt really good. Uh, I feel like some, some of the other guys might've had a little more like seriousness about it. I, I was just like, this is sick. You know, I, I was kind of more just like, I kind of just knew it was going to be cool. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like everyone kind of knew that too, but I was younger. So it was easier for me to just be like naive and like, like whatever, man, this is awesome. You know? Um, yeah, it, it was really crazy, but it was also, I was learning about what did he, you know, like this day forward, were more and and same thing with reflux and um the concubine and and um blood runs cold hardcore metal bands at that time which was most of our experience was just okay here's a riff okay here's the next riff okay now let's go into this riff you like you didn't think about how like to write a song and how to you know make it catchy or like make the structure be simple but effective you know and we were trying to figure that out on our own um working at that house and then it it wasn't really like it was such a blessing to work with brian mcturnan because he really just taught us like no this is how you write songs and he just showed us like what was you know what we needed to do and you know if you listen to the demos from that record the improvement from those demos to the actual record is insane. But so then, how much how much intervention did he have? Like you had the demo versions and he said, no, this is what you should do and kind of helped you with the structure? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, he, awesome. he would yell at us. <laughs> That's great because, yeah, I mean, usually, especially in the beginning, you know, you're just going in and they're like, all right, I'm recording what you're doing. That's cool. But the fact, you know, and that guy's legendary. He recorded some of my favorite bands. So the fact that, he was helping you out like that. I think that's, I think that's great. No, he, uh, I mean, you know, you'd have to go on our Patreon to listen to it, but we did a podcast with him. I'll send it to you though. Yeah. Um, you know, it was crazy cause we were so young and to me, um, he was 29 at the time, maybe 28. 
That's right, because we were talking on the phone, and I was like, "No, that that that's not right." Yeah, and you're like, "You're like, no." He recorded "Texas Is the Reason" when he was like 17 or 18. Yeah, dude, I had no idea. It was crazy because he, you know, I'm older than he was then, but I still think of him as this like dad figure. (laughs) You know, like he was so much older and just more. I mean, he was doing pretty well for himself, having this big studio that he built. You know, like it, it was pretty. It's pretty insane to think like that he did that well for himself, that he was doing what he was doing, but he knew what he was doing. And back then he was kind of (laughs) angry about it. And I get it a little more now because if I were always trying to make bands sound better and this 19 year old kid came in and was like trying to do big, long, fast drum fills which I was trying to do at the time. I was trying to do like metal drum fills everywhere. Yeah. It was like, no, you got, and now I, I played, I played drums completely different because of that. I mean, I've gone way back to where now I play a lot more like jazzy and more busy, but um, the whole like, you know, with flam yeah. and that shit, like I didn't do any of that shit until Brian McTurnan made me. And it's a huge part of my drumming now. And so I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> Wow, because it's what the band needs, you know. Like you can't have two guitars with delay going the whole time, and then, you know, I mean, there's a few bands that I hear out there that do that. They have all these big long drum fills over two guitars with delay, and it just makes me makes me have a headache. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Steve, I first encountered you at one of the Shaw House New Year's Eve parties. Oh no! Yeah. And I, I remember, like, I had no idea who you were. Like, I knew Circus Survive was a band, but I didn't know, like, anybody else in the band except Colin and Anthony and, and Brendan. So I didn't know the rhythm section, basically. And uh, you, you were, I think you were kind of drunk. And you, like, Pat was messing with you, Pat McCormick. Like, he pretended, like, to I talk think I was messing you. with him. <laughs> yeah, something was going on, and Pat, like, pretended to talk about you. And then you like got up and you you like came up to him and you're like what what's going on? And I was like who is that? Like, and he's like oh that's Steve from from Circa. And I was like oh, do you remember any of that? I do. I remember um, I was wasted, <laughs> but I rem I remember I I remember he was like just kind of being like not nice to me or something <laughs> probably because I was being a dick. But then I remember saying to him like, Hey man, I try so hard to be your friend. And you're like, you know, blah, blah, blah to me, blah, 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 blah. And then he was like, apologized. And I like <laughs> flipped it on him <laughs> and he was like, Oh, I'm sorry, man. Like, ah, oh, I didn't realize you're trying to just be my friend. Blah, blah, blah. And then, and then he went up to like a few other people and he like told them the same thing. Like, Hi, man. I'm just like, you know, trying to be nice. I'm sorry, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was very bizarre. I was like, dude, that guy is really pissed off. What's going on? Like, (laughs) like I was pissed off. No, like, yeah, you were. Because you were like, you were like talking to Pat, like serious. Oh, well, I I remember. So, man, I mean, this is like a young kid wasted. But yeah, like, I remember that he just was kind of like, uh, you know, probably just annoyed with me because I was being an asshole. And I remember I was kind of trying to go out of my way to like be like friendly to him or something. And then I just kind of talked him into like, 
understanding that. <laughs> or I don't know. It was, the whole thing was pretty funny. That's pretty retrospect. bizarre. But, uh, but you know, I love Pat and, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's the best. He's, he's a great guy. And that that is a funny interaction. But I do remember that and it being weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that house was legendary. Like the New Year's Eve parties, I think I went to until at least, I don't know. 2000 something 2006 or 7 yeah i only went to that one i that was like my new year's eve for years and i remember the one year i stayed uh stone sober because i drove everybody remember i was i was teaching for that alternative school and one of the perks i had was um they paid me an extra like 200 dollars a check to drive the kids home in a van so i had a 15 passenger van so I drove a. Bu- I went and rounded up a bunch of people and brought them with me. So like, uh, I stayed completely sober. And I remember looking around, being like, "There are f- like forty to fifty people here that are unbelievably drunk." And never once was I ever there where the police were involved or there was anything serious that happened. It was always like, "Oh, this is just a bunch of people being wasted, having a good time." Like it was always such a welcoming place. Great times. So. Juturna is out now, right? I remember seeing some... Where was the first show you ever played as Circus Survive altogether? Do you remember? Uh, it was in Nancy Reagan in Richmond, Virginia. I believe. I believe it was Richmond, Virginia. I know it was in Nancy Reagan. How was it? It was cool. Yeah, it, it was weird. You know, because it's first show, it was weird. Um, we only could play like six songs at that point, you know? Like we only had six songs practiced and we had never played them in front of people and, you know, monitors back then you couldn't hear each other. So it was kind of nerve wracking to be on like, oh, we're on this tour. We're opening this real tour and we have like 50 dates we're going to do after this, you know? So like, what was the tour? Um, so the first leg of the tour was this band, the honorary title, the honorary title Lucero, who are still around and they're great. and um, there was another band. Uh, it, it was a bunch of dates with them. And then that went into, um, which was crazy. That went into a bunch of dates with bear vs shark and Gatsby's American dream, mm-hmm. which was insane because like I loved Gatsby's American dream. And, uh, they were also one of those bands that I was like, I want to do crazy shit like them. Uh, so then we toured with them um and then that went into something else i think but then it went like directly into a tour with dredge i think yeah and then it went directly into warp tour so it was like i don't know something like 50 dates just in a row after you know never playing a show having a record done that wasn't out yet it was kind of crazy. It was like, okay, we have a record, but like, we can't give it to anybody because, you know, at that point you were like afraid of things leaking. Right. Um, and so we had just, you know, we had like that EP, we had like two songs. Yeah. It was really crazy. And the first show I, there were some people there who knew who we were and were coming out to see us. But what the weirdest part was maybe a week into the tour, we played in Canada. Um, I don't remember the name of the place, but we played at this place in Canada and from the YouTube videos, 
people were singing along to the songs that weren't out yet. Really? Yeah. And it was like, what? People are singing along. Like there were all these people who were there and they were singing along to songs that you could only, the only place you would hear them is from YouTube. So that was when I was just like, wait, what is happening? This is crazy. <laughs> That's sing- incredible. Cause I, I remember th- this was during the era of MySpace when you guys first came out. And I remember you could like put a, a band you could list a band in the music section and click on it and see like everyone else who likes it and all these people had circus survive in their profiles and you guys you, the record wasn't even out yet and i was like what is going on like so it's it's interesting to i was going to ask like could you tell things were really happening and and it sounds like yes if people are singing along and the record's not even out yet yeah it was crazy and then also one another moment on that tour that was kind of sad but also kind of crazy is when we played in in Orange County at um the oh man why can I I can it's like the most obvious venue in Orange County come on you know it um, I don't know chain reaction chain reaction fucking <laughs> <laughs> stab in the dark but like all right no <laughs> that's that one okay so when when we played at chain reaction you know we're opening this tour and you know our record's not out yet we don't even we you know, we don't have anything out yet. Um, and the whole, the whole show is sold out. And at this point, like the other bands were starting to be like, Oh, they should like have to play last at this show. You know, there was some vibe where people like knew that we should play later. And it just sucked because like, we didn't want to play last, you know, and we, we only could play like six songs, you know, and we should have probably played last. So, you know, we played and the place was crazy and then everyone left. Oh, and man. it was like we were opening for like bands that we loved, you know. And yeah. and you know, we weren't exactly fighting with them. Like we weren't saying to them, like, no, we don't want to play last, but like the people at the record label were saying, No, they should they shouldn't have to no band should ever have to play last on their first tour or whatever. And it you know, it was kind of crazy because it was just like the other bands who were bands we loved wanted us to play last. We didn't. And then we had to watch them play to like nobody after the place was like crazy. Oh man. So that was shitty, but it was also kind of like cool, but it, it was like, yeah, I, I was going to say like, that is shitty, but secretly I'd be like, yeah, we cleared the place yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> so did you ever flip it? Like, did you ever end up playing last or did it, did you just keep it the way it was? Uh, I think that was one of the last shows on that tour, but then okay. we went right into, oh no, actually. So it, before the dredge tour. So we did the tour with, um, with, um, on your honorary title and, and Lucero that went right into Gatsby's American dream and Gatsby's American dream and Bear shark. Um, and then that went, when that tour ended, it went right into, um, this tour that was supposed to be say anything headlining mm-hmm. and then us and this band Emmanuel, but then say, say anything dropped off after the first show. And then they were like, okay, well, if the tour is going to still happen, you guys have to headline. Yeah. So then we had to like go and try and learn two more songs <laughs> so we could, <laughs> so play. you had to learn your own songs. Well, I mean, you know, 
like we wrote our songs, but then we never played a show. And then we practiced like six songs, you know? Yeah. We were opening, playing like 20 minutes, like, and and then it would, then, you know, we never went home after that. We went on tour having six songs in the bag to play. Mm -hmm. And then that tour went into another tour that went into another tour. Then that tour went into a tour where the headliner dropped off after one day. And they're like, not even a chance. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, you have to headline. And we had to go, okay, well we've only ever played six songs, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like we played them when we wrote them and recorded them, but you know, we've only played these shows. So we had to, I can't remember exactly how we did it. We, learned them though we we learned like two more songs or maybe three more songs yeah and then we had to headline that whole tour um which ended up being cool but it was weird and it and it felt like a lot of pressure at the time and then that tour ended and we went right into the dredge tour and then that went right into warp tour so that was probably the longest tour we ever did was all that back to back well, things were happening really fast, and then the album came out, and that was a sensation. Like it was, it was funny. I think I talked about it on the show. I I couldn't even comprehend it when I first listened to it. Like "Act Appalled" is a pretty straightforward song, and it's what I imagined the band would be like. But mm-hmm. then I listened to the rest of the record, and I, I I couldn't even comprehend it. It was just like it was like un unlike anything I had ever heard. And then this so one night I went to Making Time which is like a monthly party in Philly. You've probably been to it Yeah, before. I've been there a million times. Yeah, and I went there high as shit, and then I came home and got more high, and I put the record on again, and then I understood it. <laughs> so I just had to be really fucked up. It like clicked, and I was like, dude, this is this is it. Yeah, it was, it was weird. I, I feel like there was like this uh, box that um, people... It's funny because like emo was a bad word back then, you know? Yeah. Uh, cause it like the, the, the news or I don't know, the mainstream had gotten a hold of it and used it for what it wasn't. <laughs> right. Uh, but now that's gone away and now like people know what it is for the most part. Right. But, uh, it was like this thing where like, we didn't want to be hardcore or metal and we didn't want to be emo, you know, and we didn't want to be seen or whatever. Yeah. And, but there was like this constant thing where like people were trying to shove us into that thing and we were trying to fight it. But then eventually that kind of all just died off and people, it, 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 I, th- I think that people understood it's like, oh, this is, I think people understand us now that it's like, oh, they're like a psychedelic, you know, just weird band just trying to do stuff. I don't know. Like, yeah. Not, we weren't trying to do all the things that people were trying to say, though, no, you're this. Yeah. Act it doesn't kind of fit what, what like people wanted us to be. Act appalled was like, okay, we have a straightforward song that will work for the mold or whatever, which I like right. that song, but. Oh yeah, it's great. And, but yeah, it doesn't really fit a category. It doesn't really sound like any of those broad genres. You know what I mean? Like it's not pop punk. It's not emo. It's not like, it's, it's just, it's, it's its own unique thing. And that's great because that's what every band wants. Yeah, and, other, and there's a lot of bands like that. So I think a lot of bands have that struggle. But we yeah. de- we definitely did big time at that time. It was like you know, I remember we were really against doing Warp Tour for a while, and then we did Warp Tour, and it was like great for us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it, there's there's a lot of things bands do, I think, where they shoot themselves in the foot, where they're like, well, we don't want to be perceived as this, where it's just like, just do your thing and get all the chances you can get out in front of people and then people will eventually understand you. That's what I would tell myself now, you know, if I could yeah. go back and say like, Hey, <laughs> take the tour with, I don't know what tours we turned down. We probably turned down some, but uh, I would just say like, just do your thing in front of people. <laughs> exactly. That, and you know what? I, I, I always get hung up. I'm like, Oh, I, I can't do this one little thing or we'll be perceived this way forever. And I, I always go back to the band corn as a reference point. <laughs> have you, have you ever read their Wikipedia article? <laughs> no, you have to. It's great. Like they're they're like the band wanted to call it corn with a C, but someone didn't think that would be good, so they they recommended a K but backwards. Like like I'm Dude, like corn, I kind of think that that was a good decision though. I mean for them clearly, but like corn is called corn. Like they they did their thing and look what happened. Like you just it does you just have to do it. And like, not think about the result, and do your thing, and be true to yourself, and you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I didn't encounter you again <laughs> until fucking 2010, I think. Now this is great. Like, I I was with somebody, and you were hap- You were like in Elbar, oh. and I said hi. I said hi to you real quick, and then I was at Kung Fu Necktie by yourself. Yeah, and I I remember I was all fucked up because I was seeing I was seeing some band I don't remember who, and I'm walking out and I see you sitting at the bar alone, and I was like, hey, uh, I met you the other week and I'm friends with Colin and all those dudes, and I expected you to just be like, oh, cool, and then I left, but you were like, have a seat, and I was like, oh, okay, and then we were <laughs> hanging out, <laughs> and then I we ended up back at your house with your friend Connor. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was like getting high under your staircase, or I like ducked under a chair or something to get high, and like, and then I was like, oh, he's probably never going to talk to me again because that. Yeah, that's the- I remember it being pretty crazy. It was like you. Uh, to me, it was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, and that that's just how I rolled back then. I was like, this is what I'm doing, and uh, everyone's going to have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and then I remember Connor wanted to get weed. Yeah, and you like took him in your car. Did you have a car? I think I borrowed had. somebody's car. I think you and him went in a car to somewhere shady. And when you got back, he was like shooken up, and he was like, "Dude, who is that guy?" And I was like, <laughs> "I don't know. I just like met him." And he's like, "You let me get in a car with him?" I was like, "I don't know. I don't know what." <laughs> I guess you like scared the shit out of him wherever you took him. But- oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, I was like, dude, I, I don't know, man, like, you're the one who, like, was asking him to get you weed, like, I, I, I'm not, I don't even smoke weed, <laughs> but uh, it's just funny how that happened. <laughs> hey, man, I got it done. Yeah. I would like to know whose car I was in. I didn't have a car. Maybe I borrowed, like... Maybe you went in Connor's car, but anyway, yeah. you took him to an area that scared him i'd like to know where you, i'd like to know where you took him <laughs> uh, i probably my old dealer's house in uh, south philly uh, which wasn't a scary area so maybe connor uh was just young and impressionable <laughs> <laughs> maybe. yeah back then i think it was he was new to this he was only like 19 then wasn't he yeah he was really young at that point 
Yeah. So I, I, but I remember that night, and I was like, "Oh, Steve's probably never going to talk to me again." But then we ended up hanging out still anyway, and you know, so yeah. that was cool. <laughs> Those were the days, man. Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was wild living. I mean, I don't. I would be worried if my son were living like I was in Philly, but uh, you know, I don't. I don't want to say regret. I I regret a lot of it, but <laughs> I definitely regret it because I I was insane. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I I scared everybody else. You there know were what I mean? Times when it was really fun to be around you, though, Keith. Like there yes. were times when you would get like super energetic and you would be super hyped, and it was just you were just the life of the party. And I I've never seen. I went to your house one night and I remember you had a case of, remember you used to call it Gwyneth? <laughs> like you're, no. you're, and <laughs> no. he, dude, you drank on the low end, almost a case of Guinness by yourself. And it was like, holy shit. Like, cause I went in to go get one and I was like, can I have one of those? And you're like, yeah, of course, go ahead and grab one. And there was like, there's four left. Wasn't this a case like three hours ago? Like what the fuck, <laughs> what the fuck is he doing? Like, Good thing I stopped doing that, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> we certainly wouldn't be doing this right now. Oh, I ha- I have a question. Oh yeah, Sorry. go ahead. So one of the things that I notice about like your guys' fans is they are just like super hardcore, passionate. Like they live to go see you guys live. Is it something that you guys have like kind of worked on? Is like making sure that like you have. Like, is it like getting towards like, Hey, we want this type of fan base or is it just like, these are the people that kind of gravitated towards you and you guys have kind of just like done a lot of stuff to do like meet and greets and like spend time with the fans. Like, what is it that makes you guys so like, like they, your fans literally literally like love you. Like I'm part of like three or four like Instagram pages that are called like circa fan or like, uh, fans of circa. Like, yeah. Like people see that we're following each other on social media and and then they like follow me and i've even become like kind of friends with some people just because like we know each other isn't that that's wild yeah it's kind of crazy um man uh if it's something that was in any way intentional i have nothing to do with it <laughs> uh i don't know they're they're just like we just have a lot of really cool fans and, and they're, they all seem to want to be friends with each other too, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like any, they all like know each other and stuff. It's, they want to like be a community or whatever. And, you know, we're, we're starting to do a lot more with that, like with the Patreon and stuff. And we have in the past and we've done the meet and greets and everything, but it's not like something that we like invented or anything. And I'm definitely kind of, on more of the outside of it. Like I do a lot less interaction with people, you know, just cause I just am not that type of person that just like goes and talks to a whole bunch of people, you know, but, uh, but I know, I know them all, you know, like we, like yesterday we did a, um, a, uh, we do a Q and a with like some of our pa- patrons, uh, once a month. And, you know, it's all the same people. um, every month and i know them all like i've met them a million times and they're just like oh i want to support you and you know pay the top tier of your patreon and ask you questions and they're they're like friends at this point you know 
Um, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, I don't, I don't know really where it came from. (laughs) You know, Anthony, Anthony's a very, um, you know, passionate person, you know, he's a very, just people are drawn to him. Like, so a, a lot of it is his personality, I think, but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he's And he's always been that way, even when we were 16 years old. Like, I remember there was some girl that I liked that, it, you know, didn't, I asked her out and she said no. And he, I told him about it and he's like, what? what? And he just seemed to have some kind of answer or knowledge or something. So I was like trying to get in touch with him to talk to him. Like, I don't know what it was, <laughs> but it, it just seemed, it just seemed like somebody I needed to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, he's really uh, a great guy to just like talk to about stuff because you know he he's like i mean he's like you in a way keith where um you know the when you have the demons you know you, yeah like you can help people with them too you know <laughs> no i i it's, totally it's get best. what you're saying because i'm super super and em, em, is it empathetic or empathic empathetic empathetic like when you yeah i'm super empathetic towards people in general because I don't know when I see myself and I've struggled a lot with everything, anxiety and being shy and addiction and all that fun stuff. So like when I see someone else in that, I I feel like I'm really in tune with people. I feel like I can understand them and help them. And, and so I, I try to really tune into that. Yeah. Same. I had a friend hit me up the other day, like talking about like he wanted to go to like therapy and he, for some reason hit me up about it. And I'm like, Oh man, I got to talk to you about a bunch of shit. Okay. Let's talk. (laughs) Uh, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely think some of it stems from, from that, you know? Um, but then it it also, you know, we're, we've never really been trying to do something that wasn't what we want to do. You know, like it, it's always been a pretty honest thing like in the past like i was saying like before this band i was like i never want to play double bass or metal again it was like i want to play this and it's like once i got to play this i feel like we all were on the same page with that where you know like even anthony quitting seosin at the time it's like he quit because he wasn't exactly feeling the direction that band was going in at the time and then it was when this band started it, it was really like what all of us were like, no, this is what we want to do. This is the thing that we want to do. So, uh, you know, it like, luckily it worked out, you know, uh, it, we're really lucky that we all got to, you know, do the thing that we all wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the dream. That's the dream to be able to do the thing you love and be able to live off of it too. Yeah, but then also it to be like specifically like, you know, this is we're not like doing a thing that we just kind of like. It's like it was like yeah. a particular uh like no, we don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to do that anymore. This is what we want to do and then that ends up being the thing that works out. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like I imagine like being an ACDC, like they're probably not like super passionate about being an ACDC. You know, like it's ACDC. <laughs> yeah i know but man i don't know i i i like to hope that they love being acdc because that would suck if acdc didn't like if that wasn't exactly what they wanted to be 
You know, that's like that's like Meshuggah not wanting to be Meshuggah. Like, that would be heartbreaking. I bet there's parts of it that get old as fuck, though. I bet that dude, I bet Angus, before he puts on that schoolboy uniform every day, was probably not like, fuck, I'm 60. Why do I fucking still have to wear this? Like, are you serious with this I'm shit? Sure, like, I'm sure there's times, yeah. And I'm sure like Meshuggah probably even think that, too. What if they want to write a ballad, like, with a lot of delay in it or something? Like, ACDC can't do that. You know, it'd be funny if like people found that they had these other projects that are like <laughs> completely different. <that> are, like... <laughs> so let's talk now. Let's talk about this new project you have going on with there's this Tommy. You would love this because Tommy and I always send each other guitar stuff. And whenever anyone can play like in a super unique way, we watch it and then we get pissed off because we can't do that. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I got a new one for you, too. After the show, I'm going to fucking send it to you. The guy's so fucking sick. I Please can't. do. So Steve is in a band with one. He's starting a new project with one of those guys. So Steve, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, um, my friend Dave Bakey. Um, we've been talking about doing a project for years, and you know, finally with the pandemic, um, I'm home and can't do shit. So he actually was supposed to be on tour. But he ended up having to move back in with his parents because his like roommates got married. So I was like, oh, you're just living with your parents, you know? All right, man. Like one other person, I'll go in a room with you and jam, you know? It's like, yeah. you know, you're a little worried about, you know, being around like a few people or whatever, you know? But it's like, all right, this is a guy who's like kind of isolated. Um, we've been talking about jamming forever. I was like, let's just fucking get together, you know? Um so we've we've only gotten together four times so far, but every time Liz has gone to her parents' house, my wife, um, and given us a few hours to play, and it's been amazing because you know, like that's the only time that I've gotten to like play with another person, you know. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just it like really clicked right away. He he plays. He wanted to play electric guitar, but he mostly plays acoustic guitar. He plays these, uh, I can't remember the name of the company. They're sick acoustic guitars, but they're like really clean sounding. He's a really clean, like tapper, just sick player. And sometimes he like plays a guitar on it, like in front of him, like he'll play two guitars at once with a capo on it. And he was like saying he wanted to play electric. And I was like, no way, man, no, you got to play acoustic. And then once he got over here and I had like, I'm playing with not brushes, but, uh, you know, like, uh, hot rods or whatever the fuck you call them. Um, with like mutes on the toms, uh, it just really made sense, you know, um, to have, it, it's like busy, mathy, um, you know how, like what Sean are to animals as leaders, like yeah, how yeah, animals yeah. as leaders are like this metal band that's crazy. And then Sean, we're like, Oh no, we're the clean, yeah. <laughs> clean, summary, clean summary version. Not to say that like, they just, you know, they didn't just take anything from them, but I'm just saying to like, give you a reference. This yeah. is like the acoustic next step down, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, which, you know, Ch Sean and, and animals are like some of my favorite, um, player so yeah it's just been really fun we just get together and we, we it, it's really cool to only play with on one other person too because we're just like let's try this and there's no like let's try this what about this what about this it's just like let's try yeah. this okay here we go <laughs> <laughs> 
It's really good stuff, Tommy. This would this is right up our alley. I got to show you some of it. It's good stuff. You get, yeah. the, what does the project have an, an official name, Steve? No, it, it doesn't have a name yet. Um, right before I went up to Cape Cod, we were working on a song, and I named it "Before the Cape." And um, when I had sent it to Dave, he was like, "Oh, I kind of like that. That would be a good like name for the band, maybe." So maybe it'll be called "Before the Cape." Um, but who knows? I mean. It's all instrumental, and it's all, I mean, it's like mathy and heavy kind of, but it's all clean and acoustic. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's kind of cool. It's kind of what I've always wanted to do, you know? It's kind of, it's weird, like the same way as when I was 19, like what I really wanted to do was what ended up being what Circa um, is. And then like the next thing that I'm like, oh, what I really want to do is play some like mathy shit, but I like like my favorite bands are like tortoise and like mercury program and stuff like that. And so it's just kind of funny that it ended up being like, Oh, cool. We can there just do that. <laughs> yeah. So this is a Northeast scene exclusive. The band doesn't even have a name yet. And we're, we're breaking it here. Isn't that exciting folks? Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you go onto my Instagram, um, it's, there's two videos of me and him jamming and it, it's pretty cool. I'm stoked on it. Yeah, it's good stuff, and he's got a really unique playing style. So what's coming up next for Circus Survive? Well, we keep pushing back our 10-year anniversary of Blue Sky Noise. And, you know, we have new music, um, and we're not exactly sure what we're going to do with that. We It was going to be something that we did the Blue Sky Noise tour, mm-hmm. and then we were going to put it out but now that we have no idea when the blue sky noise tour is going to happen we're we're you know we're talking about what we're going to do with music and i don't know exactly what that's going to be and uh i don't really want to give anything away about it but i am really excited about it and we're far enough into it that i can tell you that it's uh like uh, i'm just really excited about it it's it's really cool and it's different awesome Ooh. Yeah. Now that sounds exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and you know what? I'm I'm looking forward to it because every Circus Survive managed to stay awesome. I mean, every album always has like songs that become my new favorites. Awesome on Thanks, on every album. I mean, Flesh and Flesh and Bone. Come on, that's like a certified platinum hit. <laughs> Every time there's a like a super like a standout where you're like holy shit this song is just so fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely ones on this album where I feel like that. I mean, you know, I never say words like that about it, but uh, you know, they're you know, they they hit me emotionally, you know. Those are the best ones. I always like the really sad ones like Flesh and Bone or Nesting Dolls and, you know, like songs like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. I I wish I could talk about it more, but, uh, you know, to some degree, you know, to some degree we want to figure out what exactly we're going to do because I think we're going to try and do stuff a little bit different. And you guys still have the Patreon going, so people can join a Patreon and they can join at different levels. And yeah, definitely. Like- and it's it's been awesome. It's actually been saving our asses. Um, so yeah, it's Circus Survive Patreon. I don't know if that's like patreon.com slash Circus Survive. Probably that's what it is. But uh, yeah, like we do every month, we do a cover, 
um, we do these live. Well, they're not live. I play drums live. Then Nick plays bass live. It's like live, but quarantine sessions, you know, like, got it. Like live down the line, you know, yeah. uh, it ends up looking like a live session, but you know, it's just, you know, this is what the song sounds like when we play it live in five different rooms separately. <laughs> and, uh, and those, those have been coming out really cool. Um, and then, yeah, so we do the covers, which we try and make them like really cool. And then we do, um, also these safe camp sessions where since blue sky noise, we've been doing these different versions of songs. Like when we do our, uh, when people come to VIP, we play a mellow version of songs, you know, we like rewrite three songs. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing once a month, at least we'll do a safe camp version of a song. And it's really cool. They end up being, it's completely different, but it's a song that, you know, is one of our favorites to play. We just come up with a new version of it. And it's really, I enjoy it a lot. There's some cover songs too. Brendan showed me some of the cover songs. You got, uh, Let's see. Radiohead. There was a song from uh that I remember was in Donnie Darko. Uh, yeah. what else? There was two more. There's a Bjork song. There's uh Head Over Heels. Who does that song? Tears for Fears. Yeah. <laughs> that one that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, we did that one like slowed down and it was fun. Wait, is that the one with tons of drum fills? Uh there's one song that just like it's the same drum beat the whole time, but then there's just like tons of drum fills. That was really fun to do. Yeah. I think it might be that song. Uh, man, I don't know what one we're doing next. Uh, we did a Beck that, well, it's a Beck cover of the Corgis, which is the other one I heard. Yeah. 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 That's from sunshine of a spotless mind. Um, that, that was really fun. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really fun. We're doing all these covers and we're doing all the shit we wouldn't have done if there wasn't a pandemic. So we can thank the pandemic for that. Uh, it, it's really cool. And it's also really cool to um, do it ourselves. You know, like I track my own drums, then everyone tracks their own parts and then we take turns mixing it. And it's really cool. Now I'm going to put this out there. Uh, I talked to Brendan about this too. I would like to see it happen. Circus survive covers this day forward <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that um you know i'm definitely down uh if you said that to anthony he would probably be like yeah yeah we gotta do it and then you, that's probably your best bet is trying to get anthony all amped up about it all right um but i don't even know what that would even sound like <laughs> well if you did one of the songs from the last album like a real ethereal version of voice or something like that it would totally work Nice. Yeah. Anthony's good at that. He got me all hyped up like two months ago. He was like, you want to do an audience of one reunion? I was like, fuck yeah, dude. And then I never heard it. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, I don't think JD will do it though, dude. He's like a full-time vet and shit. Like he's not going to fuck it. And he's like, uh, we'll get TJ or Steve to do it, dude. We'll f- it'll fucking work. And I'm like, all right, look, I just, all right. And then I got all hyped about it in my head. And then I never heard another word about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> eh, mean, whatever. You probably would have heard about it again if there wasn't like the pandemic. <laughs> Give it time. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's his last band he has left like to do again. That's it. It has to happen. Damn. Really? Yeah. Steve, you can play drums for it. Come on, help us out. Man, I got a kid. 
think about it, it would be huge for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How are you holding up in this whole fucking pandemic, Steve? I mean, my my life hasn't changed too much day to day, but I still have a job. I figured out how to do this podcast remotely, so that's good. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm doing okay. What about you? I'm doing good. You know, uh, I I was it was pretty rough for a little bit there. I was getting really just frustrated um, about it being the same every day. You know, yeah. It's really hard having a toddler um, right at the age where you're hoping that they start talking, and then they can't be around any other children for five months. Mm-hmm. So just seeing the effects on him is really tough and really frustrating. Um, but I've been, but I've been like having a more positive attitude about it. Um, you know, it, it's crazy, man. It's it, the, it's just a mystery. We don't know what the fuck is going to happen. We don't know what it's going to look like for the world to have any normalcy again. You know, it's, it's it's scary. <laughs> it is, man, because I, I keep wondering what's going to happen next. Like, am I going to have a job in a month? They're laying people off. Uh, I it, it, I just don't know. Like, the, the new accounts that we get, every call is just like, well, we don't know what's happening yet, and we're going to keep delaying it. Like, no, no, we're just in this state of, you know, like, suspension. Perpetu- no one know- Perpetual holding pattern is the the words that my my work always uses. We're just kind of in a holding pattern right now. It's like... Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fucking scary, man. It's, you know, and I'm glad I moved out of the city. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, I don't know when... I'm not going to feel the brunt of, you know, the it all crashing down as soon as a lot of people are. So I know people are already feeling it. Like I'm feeling the boredom, you know, but I know that a lot of people are going to be like evicted with no job. And, you know, a lot of these people are going to be people like be people I care about. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's really just scary to think what's going to happen, you know? Uh, so if the music industry ends forever, what are you going to do instead, Steve? Make maybe become a chef or something? Uh, man, if the music industry ends for forever, what will I do? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've given you a lot to think about, haven't I? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I honestly know stuff that I would do, but it's not like interesting stuff. I just like probably, you know, do moving stuff around you know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> moving stuff around all right so folks we're gonna check out the circus survive patreon we can we can continue to support the band via their patreon so go yeah. to their instagram at circus survive to check that out right yep yeah all right so we're gonna check out steve's new project potentially titled before the, the cape, cape. <laughs> right? yeah yeah i mean potentially i right. don't know well, Steve, listen, uh, you've been a good friend for a while. I miss you, and I, uh, I, I hope to see you out on the road again soon. And shit, I, I mean, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you so you. much, man. Thank you, man. This has been great. So, folks, remember, follow us at The N.E. Scene on Instagram and Twitter. Follow or Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Review us. Even if you don't like it, we just need reviews. Yeah, say negative shit. 
Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to hear what we're doing wrong. In addition to all the overflowing good reviews that come in. Uh, <laughs> continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com because your stories are a part of this thing too. And uh, you know, throw Do you have a, a story. box yet? No, man. No, I just uh I I put my home address out there. <laughs> I, I I'm in connection with the fans and I, I open my life up to them. That's a lie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, continue to support us. We'll continue to support you, and this will be a loving podcast relationship. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and until next time.